0: Welcome to the Hustle & Flow Podcast,
1: a platform we use to explore varying perspectives and opinion through candid conversation. We chat about philosophy,
0: business, and all things life. I'm Sean The Hustle. And I'm Les Flow. Let's go.
1: All right, guys. Today, we're joined by our special guest, Emily Lola Tan, a fitness expert and entrepreneur of more than 15 years. Her story and journey is truly one of facing and conquering adversity time and time again. Over the years, Emily has endured and overcome racial discrimination, sexual abuse, battles with mental illness, her business folding in her early 20s, and the emotional anguish of two divorces, all before the age of 32. Then, in 2018, Emily was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Whilst gone through multiple bouts of chemotherapy and a bone marrow transplant, she was given the chance to step back and reflect upon life. Since then, she has launched the Tackling Minds podcast, a platform honoring the power of story and drawing lessons from struggle and adversity, channeling growth through the process of self-actualization. So with that, welcome, Emily. Thanks for joining us on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me today. I'm so glad that you guys have this Hustle and Flow podcast going on.
1: Oh, cool. We're
0: very glad to actually. and um, It's awesome to have you on it today. And you know, Les has given us, I guess, some cliff notes to the life you've um, experienced today. It sounds eventful and like um, you've been through a lot and also learnt a lot. So what I'd like to do now is actually invite you to tell us your origin story as far back as you'd like, how you've become the Emily of today. Feel free to go as much detail as you can and we'd love to hear where you're from and, and how you've come to be where you are.
2: Oh, gosh, when you say eventful, I immediately went to, yep, it wasn't boring. Yeah. (laughs) In terms of my origin, I I really don't know where to start because I feel like I've kind of evolved a lot. And I think there are a lot of different aspects in life that I've experienced as well and learned from and grew from. You know what I mean? Um, But I guess I could start with, the moment where I felt things really change, and that's moving from Malaysia to the US. Because prior to moving in Malaysia, it's always been like, oh, it's a sheltered life, you're comfortable, you got you know, your your money's fine and everything, but the minute we moved to the states, our status had changed. We went from like a middle class to all of a sudden low class immigrant, people don't care what specifically heritage you belong to, they just see you as Asian as Asian, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, whatever. I don't care, it's all the same, ching chong, whatever. That was my first time experiencing, why are they being so mean about what I look like? And I don't mean like, you know, hair color, whatever. It's just more of a, why are they being so mean about where I'm from? Or, and I also have built up the the misconception that all Americans are stupid. Purely because when you're in middle school and kids ask you, oh my God, do you have computers where you are? Do you guys drive where you are? Do you live in trees? Is that true? And like, looking back, I know it wasn't malicious. You know, you were kids. We don't know any better unless we're being taught in school or being taught, you know, with our parents and stuff. But at the time I felt a little, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how I felt. I just felt some type of way. Like, where am I exactly? I thought America was like supposed to be a better country where people are smarter. You know, we kind of see them, we, we kind of put them on a pedestal just purely because of the movies and stuff that we've seen. So that was the first time where I started to form different types of opinions and perspectives not based on idealization and fantasy. So that was a cool experience, that's for sure. And then having worked when I was a re- at, a real, at a really young age, it taught me that privilege is truly what it means. Because privilege, unless you have experience having it and not having it, we really don't know what that means. It could be money, it could be status, it could be anything like that. But to have that type of contrast, it taught me how to be more appreciative of what my parents had done. You know, they, they pretty much dumped everything here and we all went to another country where we don't have much I mean, when we first moved there, me, my dad, uh, me, my mom, and my brothers were all, we were sharing two mattresses, sleeping on the floor in one room. That was pretty much how we started. And then when we finally got on place, we didn't have money for furniture. So we would go to like, you know, garage sales and stuff. I don't think people do garage sales anymore, but we'll go to garage sales and pick up like, oh, a used bean bag for 10 bucks. Or I'll have my books for, you know, 50 cents a book. Those are the good days, 50 cents a book. <laughs> right? Now books are like 40 bucks. I'm like, what?
1: Why? Totally. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I mean that so yeah, I think that early on, um, facing that type of challenge, I guess, really helped to raise the ceiling of, oh, okay, I can be tough and I can handle stress and I can handle more and more and more. And that was evident in the jobs that I took up as well. I was doing I used to work in nail salons. I used to work in restaurants um, and and one short gig working in the shopping mall. But working in restaurant environment really taught me how to deal with chaotic situations. And it actually taught me social skills. Because when I first went to the States, I used to get teased for my English. And I got really shy, you know, in middle school and and freshman year in high school. I don't really, I didn't really talk to anyone. I would just... Kind of be there and Michelle, all that stuff. Do you guys remember the movie Mean Girls? Yeah. Do you, yes. know, do you remember that scene where she was sitting in the bathroom on the first day of school and she didn't know anybody? That was you? Yeah, that was me, man. That was me. <laughs> and I realized what, how dirty the bathroom was. And then I realized, mm, I'm not going to do this again. So <laughs> that, was a, that was another realization when you're trying to eat your sandwich in a room full of like, is that blood stain? What is this drawing? Oh my God, is that poo stain? Oh, so gross. <laughs> yeah. so um, So yeah, I think it comes down to at a young age, if we become too protective of our kids and whoever we're trying to teach, don't really give them any opportunities to realize what they are capable of at a young age. And I'm really, I'm really glad I was presented with the opportunities for that, and I think that probably started snowballing in terms of I liked the way I was approaching things. And with everything that came up pretty much after like freshman year of high school, I realized, oh, this is just another opportunity to work on that muscle, and this is another opportunity to work on this muscle. And, I'm not, and when I'm talking about muscle, I don't mean aesthetically, I'm talking about like oh, mental strength, oh, mental agility our capability of, uh, okay, I don't want to dwell on this. This is sad. This is depressing. This is time consuming and energy consuming. I'm tired of this. So I either succeed in killing myself or I move forward, which I did not succeed in killing myself, obviously, despite the attempt. Um, but I'm really glad that I was able to come back from it and still reflect upon it without it becoming, without it having any power over me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that this is something I knew from, from a young age. All of this actually only started when I started working with clinical psychologists about two years ago, about a few months after I was diagnosed with cancer, I decided, well, I've done nutrition, I've done physical, physical health, and somehow I'm still where I'm at right now, but I've never pursued the science of mental health. Mm. And only upon then I realized, okay, I was really good at suppressing all the traumatic events and my emotions, so yeah, I got really good at building that muscle, but i didn 't allow myself any space to really cultivate compassion for myself yeah. and because i didn 't have the skill or the practice to cultivate compassion for myself, it wasn 't easy cultivating compassion for other people and I way that contrast only upon speaking to the psychologist and then asking me questions, which inspired me to ask more difficult questions, but necessary questions.
1: Yep. Yep. It's super interesting. I mean, there's so many things that I want to sort of talk about, but I want to bring you back to the the, the foundation, the ground roots and, you know, like you and I, I, I'm, I immediately sort of resonate with um, a lot of your story because, you know, we're both Asian. I was, um, you know, first generation um, Australian born Chinese. So I was born and raised in Sydney, but you know, I I do feel the same sort of, I guess, exclusion and um, I guess uh, racial. um, uh, I don't even know. I don't even want to call it abuse. Right. I mean, kids are kids, but, this is this is what you're subject to essentially and especially for for me I was I grew up in an area where you know in in every school that I went to I was the I was the token Asian the only Asian in the class you know so I felt that right and then and then when you start talking about like working in restaurants you know my parents owned a Chinese restaurant back in the day you know that's what they did Uh, when they go and immigrate overseas they start Chinese restaurants and um it's funny that you say it's like it 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 helped you develop social skills and things like this and um, introduce chaos i I've never personally thought about it that way for myself but but I can agree i think i i think i I can completely understand you and um it's It's like this funny thing that you talk about these little experiences and you've been able to pinpoint um i guess areas of your life which has given you a sense of like mental resilience right. And and it's it seems like pretty off the cuff that you're able to say that, but at the same time, like it, it immediately brought to mind a book that I recently just finished reading, called uh, Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt, um, and it talks exactly about that in terms of how um, this generation have been you know essentially wrapped in you know um, <clears throat> wrapped in bubble wrap and protected to the point of their detriment you know they're unable to you know effectively operate in the real world once they emerge from college and things like this because of this overprotective nature that we you know tend to put kids through nowadays you know and I want to I want to like ask you more about that in terms of like your experience of that as a young person and like how you think it differed around you and like I guess was it something conscious that you wanted to build in yourself or was it just because of the, the nature of the circumstance and environment that you were in?
2: I think it was more so the nature of the circumstances that I was in. Just because I threw myself into work only after something significant had happened when I was 15. I was unconscious when uh, my ex boyfriend had sex with me without my consent. And that was my first time. And that led to a pregnancy that led to an abortion and the abortion led to a suicide attempt. So during that short period, I think I had experienced like an ultimate low disappointment, shame, guilt, and complete loss of uh, self-worth. That type of feeling when you think you don't deserve to live as opposed to, I can't take it anymore. It's really different. And only upon that realization, I had to draw myself back to how am I here to begin? with? I'm here because of my parents. And I'm I'm here because I love my brothers. And the realization upon that is by doing this, even though I don't think I deserve to live at the time, I'm essentially hurting the people that I love dearly. So I think that realization pushed me to thinking, well, I'm not going to be a burden for anyone. I'm going to make my own money. I'm not going to I'm not going to give my parents the opportunity to need to work even harder because, you know, being immigrants in a new country, you don't take a day off. The only day off you take is like, okay, I should probably take my kids to the park. That's like a day off. Or I need to take them to the doctors. That's a day off. But I think I, at the time, I decided I'm going to grow up. I'm going to grow up immediately. So my high school life was pretty much try not to fail, work as many jobs as I can. That was my two focus. And I think because of that drive and because of that purpose, it allowed me to not really be affected as much, or want to let it affect me as much. If I'm whenever I'm dealing with difficult challenges or difficult things, and frankly, at the time, I don't remember much thinking that things were difficult. The only time I thought maybe I should take a break was when I actually passed out from not getting enough sleep, and now. I was, I think I was doing something for four days in a row and I passed out in my room and my roommates had freaked out, wondering like, oh my God, what happened? And they took me to the hospital, which is not great because in the U.S., when you're being taken to the hospital, you are billed for everything. And I'm like, I was not, it was not necessary for me to be here. I had an anxiety attack. It will pass. I don't know why I passed out, but I don't really need to be here. So I think all of that as well, again, forcing me to, okay, I should really like take a scale it back, take care of my health. This way no one freaks out and we can all be cool no more incurred costs but again all of these coming down to finding different motivation factors and I think over time that was lost obviously when I came back here and I was a young adult and I was doing a lot of I was just working a lot like the workaholic nature had started and has started to be part of who I am for a long long time um and it only really took something like cancer to dial it back and to remind myself, remember your purpose, remember your drive. And that is, until today, I realize it's really about relationships in your life. And I say relationships, who are the people who you hold so dearly to your heart? In one way, you live them so much that you are fearful of it. That's really powerful. And I think that's an amazing force that you can hang on to Whenever you're dealing with anything that seems overwhelming and consuming. Yeah. In that sense. So the hustle mindset, I would say at the time was that.
0: Got you. Got you. It sounds to me like, you know, um, you're very mindful of the people around you. You, know, you said you attempted to take your own life and then you thought about the people around you and you didn't want to be a burden on them in any way or hurt them in any way, right? And um, it's one thing that um, I see coming up from, from what you're explaining to us through different times of your life is that you've found a reason to do things in other people. Right? Yeah. Um, would that be fair to say?
2: That is absolutely fair to say.
0: Yeah. And and I I just wanted to draw that up because I think it's interesting, you know, especially in today's age, we're all told, you know, like take care of yourself, do things for yourself, take care of yourself first. And I totally agree with that because I definitely ascribe to the, you know, school thought that if you take care of yourself well, then you can take care of others well too, right? But I think there's this interesting, um this interesting dynamic, right? Especially people that, you know, have an ethnic background, they're very close to their families you form this bond and this appreciation for what your parents have done for you, uh, for what your family at large does for your siblings, everyone. Right. And um, it's interesting because I think we all find ourselves doing things for others when we wouldn't do those things for ourselves. Right. Like you've been in this situation where we've been very um, you know, people would argue very easy for you to just give up and just be like, why am I here? As you said, right. Like you didn't feel worthy of living. It's like, well, fuck it. I'll just leave it all. Right but then you found a reason to live in other people and doing things, and that's interesting. So like, did you become aware of that, that that was your main drive? Like really, was that front of mind for you or did you kind of just think, I I just want to make sure they're okay and and still weren't really thinking about yourself?
2: I think it might be a mixture of both because for the longest time, I think every time we make a birthday wish, you know, birthday wishes are amazing. My wish had been consistent that, oh, maybe I shouldn't say it because then I would jinx it, right? But it's somewhere along the lines of, okay, okay, <laughs> my family better be good, my family better be well. Yeah. And it includes my family's well-being. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I kind of said it without actually saying it. So, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dodged it. The birthday wish for is yeah, like, it's okay. know. But it's okay. Stay, I, well, I
2: can probably get some redemption there. For bone marrow transplants, we get a new birthday. So yeah, two birthdays. <laughs> uh, what was I say? Oh yeah. Okay. So I think along the way of hustling, 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 I actually don't consciously keep that in mind. On the like throughout the process of, I gotta keep doing this job. I gotta go in day in day out. You go in. You are busy working and all you're really focusing on so like what is in front of you and what's at that present moment. So I don't think I actually allowed myself to be mindful along the way a lot of times. I think that is not healthy, obviously, because when I look back, I do think, okay, there are a lot of behaviors that were toxic because what's the point of you wanting to live for your... For your family or for the for the people around you people you love but you are not being 100 percent of yourself so i realized okay well if i'm going to be living but i'm 20 percent of my health and people need to take care of me instead is that really aligned with what i had set out to do mm-hmm. that doesn't so in order for me to live for other people they need to see that i am well and i'm happy thus they will hopefully see that and want to be well and happy as well for themselves and for other people. This is the contagion of positive action, adaptive action.
1: Yep, Totally. And like, it's, it's a funny thing. It's almost, it is that like chicken and the egg thing. Right. Um, But like, you know, at, at the same time you can say you can't, you know, pour from an empty cup. But at, and and on the other hand, like you know, if um, if you've got no 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 other cups to pour into, then then what's the point? And I think that it's not necessarily about you know um, specifically other people for everyone. And I think it, it sort of reminds me of um, of of Viktor Frankl. You know, um, Man's search for meaning. It's one of the most um, I guess popular self help book these these days Uh, a lot of people uh, use it and you know um, a man who can I guess uh, live through multiple um, concentration camps and um, still find a way to I guess come out of those sorts of experiences for for many years um, there there has to be some sort of external motivator or driver and this is what we're pointing to right whatever that is for you as an individual it's about identifying and finding this driver that that you yourself resonate with on a deeper level than just thinking about it you know some some sort of intellectual desire or wanting it's about like this this yearning of the heart yearning of the soul to say that this is what i want to do things for this is what i want to live for right um that that pulls you towards it's like gravity to, to to some extent Um, but it's a very interesting, like discussion, like one way or another, like, uh, you can't really serve anyone when you're not a hundred percent yourself. And, um, it sort of gets this bad rap at times because people might think that it's deemed selfish in a way. And I think selfishness in itself, uh, in a general sense, it has a negative connotation to it, which you you can put it one way or another. I myself I don't feel like it's a it's a it's a bad thing when when it's like well intentioned from the from the point of being able to serve whatever it is that you want to offer to the world as a as a pure offering of of love from a space of love. Then you must you know you must really work on yourself and and bring the to, to in order to bring the best out of yourself. Right, um, it, it's it's. There's no other way to do it, in my mind, you know.
2: I agree with you. I think two things there, when we talk about, like, what are you living for? What are your drivers and stuff? Whatever that resonates with you now, it doesn't need to be the only thing that resonates you uh, with us for the rest of our lives or for all of our lives. It's not like we're me. only one option. Yeah. But I think it's important to see this as... I always like to use the analogy of, like, a toolbox. In whatever it is, in my career of like fitness and stuff, I would accumulate a toolbox of knowledge and skillification because every client of mine will be different. If I only use, let's say, the TOX for every client, then I don't think I'll be a really good trainer because I'm forcing a tool upon somebody else. I mm. need to understand what their needs are first in order to get the right tool to help them. And it's only going to be supplementary, it's not like the diagnosis. So, similarly, Serving others in my family is one of my driving factors. The other driving factors is like, what makes you feel full of life? What makes you feel rewarded in your own existence, I guess? I mean, some people might label it existential anxiety or whatever it is. And we're going to label this in a bit. But I think it's important to spend some time and ask yourself these really difficult questions. It doesn't need to be something that causes you to break down with emotion and stuff like that. And if you feel like, yeah, I I really think I need someone to talk things out with or someone who can guide me there. This way I don't feel so fearful and alone when I do get there. And like no one to really reel me in if I get too far, then definitely look for someone who, experience in this when people say no i don't want to go see a psychologist i can just talk to my friends well honestly that's not fair to your friends your friends are not trained psychologists your friends did not study this your friends did not go through experiences and experiences with other people to accumulate the information that they have so putting it upon them it, it becomes unfair to both of you and not everyone will have the ability to hold space for someone else they might be fearful of like i don't want to say the wrong thing so i'm just going to say this because i read it somewhere and we are, and when we're in that state of mind, when we're kind of more vulnerable to influences and opinions, we actually do ourselves a disservice in that sense. Absolutely. So, yeah, finding, finding the right tools and always have them in place, accessible to you whenever you want. And then it comes down to labels. Um, when you mentioned selfish, I think selfish personally it is a label. It is a label for us to Im- impose them upon someone else. Like, oh, you're doing that, you're selfish. Like, no, I'm doing this for this purpose your opinion of this is selfish, but to me it's logical, it's rational, and it's somewhat necessary for me to achieve that. And as long as it sits right with me that okay, if in order to achieve that, I need to do this in order for me to go and help these kids, for example, in this hospital, I might be required to go do some sort of training, da da da, da and some sort of tests. And some people might say, oh, you're spending all this money to invest in your own education and your own health. Like, yeah, that is what's happening, but I'm doing it for this purpose. So you might think it's selfish for me to do this thing, but I'm doing it for that thing. So I don't see it selfish. Similarly to everything else, when it comes to labels, I realized along the way that I had succumbed myself to labels for a while. I think in my young adulthood, like in my early twenties, late teenage years, it was all about labels. And and unfortunately kind of allowed it. And I'm sure I'm not alone here. We allow those labels to rule our lives and to run our lives and then run our courses. So, when you mentioned earlier in terms like battling mental illnesses, I can be honest with you, I never thought that I was depressed. I never allowed myself to think, I think I'm depressed. No, depression was not in my vocabulary, not at all. And only upon reflecting back onto situations, and I realized I probably was a high functioning, depressed person but then again that's just something for me to apply reference to but it's not something to identify with so labels and identification I think we have to be really careful with that if you want to use something for reference just so you can form a neutral language with the person you're talking to then sure it's for the means of communication but to identify with it then you're allowing your thoughts to dictate your thoughts and I think that all three of us know here that thoughts feed emotions.
0: Totally. Yeah, for sure. And, and we talk about that a lot, right? It's like, we're not our thoughts. Like we have our thoughts and, and we experience them, but we are not them. And I think what you're saying is, is so true. Like once we succumb to identifying, um, you know, with labels that are placed on us with thoughts that we have that keep on recurring, um, we can find ourselves in a pretty dangerous spot.
1: And I, and I really like the way you've put it in terms of, um, you know, a, a mechanism for, for mutual understa- understanding and communication. And that, that's what it is, right? That's what language is generally, you know, like, the, like one word can have so many different subjective meanings and like underlying, underlying like references and inferences based on whose mouth it comes out of and what context that, that word comes out of someone's mouth. You know, at the time, place, you know, everything like this. I think it's like so important for people to really realize this when when you have a conversation at some, to, to, uh, with someone, and not necessarily take everything at face value based on how you interpret a certain word and. You know a lot of a lot of the times this is where conflict comes right when people misinterpret a word that comes out of someone else's mouth because they understand it a certain way or they you know they are connected to it in a certain way and um yeah exactly right i mean these it's it's like this difference between um the labels and and the use of the the word itself and the reason why the particular word has been selected in this particular sequence, in this particular sentence, right? In this particular time and place from this particular person's mouth. Um, it's, It's so funny. I mean, like we, we talk every day, you know, we converse with people every day, but when you take a step back and really think about what we're actually doing, we're simply just conveying or trying to communicate with each other. We're not actually like saying one thing is this and that, like I always say, have this thing where like, a tree isn't any less a tree if we stop calling them trees, right? A tr- the, the word tree doesn't make it a tree. It's still a tree. So, yeah, it's just a funny thing, right?
2: Yeah, and it doesn't need to be one word for anything. I re- I, I posted something on my, um, on my Instagram, the Instagram account that is sex positive and sex education that driven. And I think this post was talking about something... I can't remember now. I think it was probably oral sex, but there are all these different terms for it or something like that. And someone commented, why can't, why do they have to complicate things? Why do, why do they need like 10 names for this thing? And it actually made me think, I'm like, okay, I understand why he's wondering this, but I wonder if he also realizes that the whole world doesn't speak English. (laughs) When other languages are translated, it's not the literal meaning of what this is. It's, it's our world so what oh, yeah. you said like i i agree with what you say about like you know the, the analogy of the tree and i it actually got me thinking how we're how we're texting today what do you think that how do you think that will influence the way we communicate in the future because even today people are like w-i-d
1: <laughs> well uh it's funny yeah. i i recently read a book um a month or two ago. I can't remember what it's called. I will put it in the show notes, right. Um, By a Italian philosopher. And it's funny. um, He mentioned this one part that really stuck with me, right. Um, One of the most common words in the last couple of years was a fucking emoji. Right. That, that is one of the most common words that uh, in, in, in like modern language, you know, usually it's actually a word but it's a fucking emoji, the crying eyes emoji, you know? And I posted, wow. I posted this on my Instagram. And like to me, this, this sort of answers your question in terms of the way our language is, like, evolving and moving towards. Like, the way that I see it is, right, in just reference to that particular post, and I posted it a few months ago, but basically, like, can you imagine that, you know, in however many years' time that a few hundred, like, you know, pictorial emojis is going to represent our human emotions or attempt to do that, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going.
2: I'm, I'm thinking now. Like,
1: like to me, that's, that's, that's fucking insane, but it's, it's really like poignant to think about right now because it truly is like to me, when I, when I look at it, at modern society at large, we are becoming more, you know, black and white, less, emotion right more emotionless and then, then a few hundred fucking pictures can represent what we're thinking on feeling you know and that's enough for modern society these days so what direction are we moving towards um it's scary to think because you know being someone who has uh, a very close connection with creativity and um art of any sort right that is truly about breaking down you know the smallest minute thing into the deepest deepest depths that you can right is to describe a grain of rice in a novel you know of thousands and thousands of words to me that's that's real human emotion and connection right to r- truly understand oneself at that at that level but it seems like it's completely being lost and gloss over because we're just running and running and running now. You know, we don't have time for that shit. <laughs> happy happy yeah. face, happy face. That's it. That's, that's all we're about. Fuck, yeah. So yeah, that's what
2: think I, it, I don't know about going somewhere else that we have never been, but I think we have been, because if we look at, how stories were being told back in the day, it was through drawings on rocks. Totally. And those, are, those were the words. It's only we had evolved them into words. I mean, look at the Chinese, look at the Chinese um, traditional characters yeah. today. Before it literally looks like a, a more eloquent drawing <laughs> of what it was before. Mm. Yeah. If anyone is interested in, in, in that, definitely look it up. Because, for example, like the word "mouth" in Chinese, literally looks like your mouth. Well, a box of mouth, a boxy yeah. mouth.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But when you said we're becoming more emotionless with emojis, it also sounds kind of weird because I think people express more emotions through emojis than their actual facial expressions and the nonverbal expressions. And yeah. I wonder is because along the way we really don't know how to express them in words because words subject us to being judged, to being called names, being labeled, uh, could be being labeled, effeminate, a pussy, whatever it is. Oh, you're talking about feelings. Oh my god, you're a girl. You, know, mm. you can say it's toxic masculinity, but it's also contributed by toxic femininity. And we can talk about that later. But yeah, so I think this is not something to really glance over or not something to lose hope on because awesome. that's also how we encourage kids to express themselves. we we'll give them two pictures and ask them to pick one. Which of these do you feel right now? And they would pick one. It's not a word. It really is a picture. I think in a way, do you think this is a call for help?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, if you look at, like for me, I just look at, um, the difference between, you know, poets, uh, I guess poets that have their work that has stood the the test of time, right. And versus what poetry or modern poetry is looked at today and how that is sort of viewed, right. To me, there's a very stark contrast in terms of how it is and how it's read you know today modern poetry the the very new age poetry that i see today it's um it's it's sort of um picking at this vulnerability thread right but it is just sitting on the on the surface level for the most part but then if you look at like people like lao tzu and then people like rumi and people like hafiz There's so much depth to what they're talking about. And, And they're not really talking about much, if anything at all, in particular. But for them to derive such emotion and such depth and such color that it can still derive, you know, such visceral, you know, vibration through any human being who reads those words and consumes them the way that they're supposed to be consumed... That that to me is true expression, right? That there there is really a tapping of a of a of a source that is much deeper than what most people know, to, you know, or are taught today. I feel.
2: Yeah, that is true. Like, why do we resonate so much with quotes?
1: Yeah. yeah. Only
2: with short. I see a lot more short quotes on Instagram than I do like a long paragraph.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that's another thing, right? You know, uh, in terms of how our social platforms are evolving, a lot of the stuff is moving now off, <laughs> off things that have words and onto pictures and videos now, right? That's where it's heading towards. So, you know, that's well, just that's what. That's like another you
0: know. thing, right? It's like what kind of our attention is kind of being trained, Right. I think that like the emoji thing for me is interesting because I actually use emojis when I want to convey something and like, I might not know exactly what to write. Right. So like, Les, you write very eloquently. You're a poet. You're, you're used to writing in long form. Right. <clears throat> so I write long forms sometimes too, but sometimes I just don't want to fucking write. <laughs> like, so, so I'll use an emoji. So I like, I completely appreciate, you know, everything you've shared with like where we're going with that. But I think for some people, sometimes it's just like, especially when you, you know, you're talking with people that know you, you know what I mean? Like there's certain emojis that I send you Les, when, when we chat through IG that you just know what I fucking mean.
1: And, and, and you know, like, don't get me wrong, everyone. Like I'm not fucking <laughs> writing poetry to Sean or everyone I fucking talk to, right? And then you know? I send back a
0: cry face, you know?
1: I'm,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. Um, How I'm, are I'm, you
2: experiencing you within your inner self upon this dusk?
0: yeah (laughs) right so like
2: i'm all about the gif game man gif gif however you want to say it
1: yeah you know like i I always drop the 100 emoji all the time you know that's yeah uh, and
0: and i guess yeah dude and that's the thing right it's like there's no absolutes on this shit on anything and yeah for me I, i just like with the emojis right like for me it is a valid form of communication like the friends that i have like you my brother man like you know what i mean when i send you an emoji and it's just easier for me Mm. so that's what i do that said i also wonder like is there sometimes when when people write things to you like are they wanting more of a response and are we kind of training this uh really short form just rapid fire way of communication that actually like makes the connection shallow between people. I, I wonder about that, right? Because it's like, um, it's weird. I think about like when when you engage with people on Instagram and they write you like this really fucking long message and you can tell they've taken time to craft it. And then you're like, hunt it, man, punch. Like, are they just like, what the fuck, man? Like, did you read or consider anything I just said to you? Whereas for me, right? I'm like, yeah, totally, man. I feel what you said. That's why I like hunt it and punch. Like, I totally fucking agree with you. Fist bump that shit. You are on it. Like we're vibing. And maybe they're just like, he doesn't give a shit.
1: <laughs>
0: so maybe I won't even bother sharing what I feel to people anymore, which is a big stretch to make, right? But people would make those stretches. No, oh, for sure. I wonder about that. I wonder about that.
2: I think it probably goes in line with understanding our languages when it comes to different things. For example, we've heard a lot about our love languages. We've heard a lot about our fight languages. So this might come into, are you actually aware that not everyone communicates the same way as you? Mm. And if we don't bring that into awareness enough or we don't remind people about that enough, we let our emotions dictate the thoughts and the thoughts further feed the emotions and then we go back into that loop. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, the world against me type of attitude. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I personally think if it doesn't, if, it, if it's not a big deal for me to type a full on, you know, sentence as a response, there's no harm in that. It's just, why not? You know, yeah, sure. It'd be more efficient for me to go agree. And that's it because I do agree, but I'm, you know, I'm busy. I'm doing something else. But I think it's the mutual respect that we still want to instill in ourselves and in other people. It's common courtesy in that sense. Sometimes if I'm in my mood, I'll be like, I appreciate what you wrote. I want to take the time to respond, but please give me some time. I'm a little busy today. Like, that takes like 10 seconds to, to type.
0: Mm. I think like, See, that's interesting because it's consideration of the person on the other side that you're trying to communicate with, right? Because I think a lot of the times we're so focused on getting our point across, us coming across a certain way um, of, of however we think, or just trying to make someone see something or just you know, relay that information really quickly so it's easy for us. We don't usually stop to think about how is the person on the other side going to actually digest it?
2: Yeah, I think it's about validation because just when you said that, that might really align with how people want to validate their opinions because they need to hear someone else also agree at length. Mm. Sure, good that, you know, someone says agree or 100, uh, but I would say more about it. And and I think in our current climate, I would say particularly this year, socially and everyday and politically, we are just always looking for people to be on our sides because we don't want to feel alone. I think it comes down. And I wonder if it boils down to that, like humans don't want to feel alone and having to adhere to physical distancing procedures and social distancing, and whatnot, it makes us physically alone.
1: Mm.
2: <laughs> this is kind of like grasping at last straws.
1: Yeah. Very, like so many interesting threads we can go down with that. And I think that like at the end of the day also, it's it's important to to note and something interesting that you sort of raised is that um, this, this whatever the label of language is, right? Like a lot of the time as well, we have to remember that language and communication in itself doesn't necessarily need to be um, solely in, in spoken verbal form, right? that there is nonverbal communication in so many different forms that we must also take into consideration. And like, you know, we, we talk about this a lot in terms of like the, the communication we are, uh, we have with oneself, you know, the communication that goes on within ourselves and like some people call it self-talk and all these sorts of things, but it's also the thing that I'm uh, referring to more and what we talk about more is like this, this notion of intuition and, and how that, is in itself a, a, a way to communicate with yourself and your heart, your soul, whatever you want to call it. But I guess the point that I'm raising is that there's so many different ways that we're not necessarily taught how to use or how to, um, how to leverage these types of communication or even realize that there is any communication outside of, you know, th- this format of, of conversation.
2: Yeah. I agree with you that we were not taught these and I think as long as soon as long as we realize just because I wasn't taught these it doesn't mean that I can't teach myself these. Totally. And if anyone wants to fall back on excuses like oh I'm this way because of this happened I'm that way because that happened yeah okay not to not to dismiss anything that you went through and I'm sure it was tough and it still is having some sort of power over you or influence over you but there is action available to you if you choose to take it it's not going to be easy it might be tough and uncomfortable but it's going to be worth it if mm. you're willing to do it. so when you mentioned about nonverbal communication i fully agree with you because i think the more i understand what grappling is the grappling is essentially a very not gentle but more aggressive nonverbal communication and I like to talk about this with some jiu friends, but most of them are like, I just, I just, I just play jiu I don't think about that much. But some people are willing to go there with me. So hear me out. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think in society and in, in like our expectations to be a decent human in society, we have been told over and over to, you can't get angry. Don't be angry. Why are you so mad? As if you need to dismiss this emotion that you're feeling. We're being taught that over time. And what happens when we grow up is, we naturally just try to suppress angry emotions, frustrate, frustrated, uh, frustration, but not realizing these are normal human emotions. And the more you suppress them, the more power they would actually have over time, of festering. And I think, I think mar, like mar, martial arts, general yes, but particularly grappling, where there's a lot of body contact and there's a lot of strategizing on like. And you get, it's a flow trigger, right? A lot of grappling sports are actually flow trooper sports because you don't have time to think about anything else. Your prefrontal cortex is not going to go, I wonder if I can put my hand up there and put my left hand over there and put my right leg over there. No, it's all going to be instinctive. And I think that would actually build our intuition better as well. As if, if long as we're able to put ourselves in a situation to constantly raise that ceiling of, of feeling hardship mm. and but also not dismissing the act once it's done it's kind of like you approach it with a certain mindset and you exit it also with a short reflection of how did today go what was how was i performing for my training partner and what did i send for my training partner so to give a more realistic example if i'm rolling with someone today and i felt like wow this person is a little bit more aggressive today and I don't feel like being, I don't feel like matching that, that energy. So what I'm going to adjust my energy, the person's energy down to match mine and see if it works. If it doesn't work, I'll be like, yo, I'm, I'm cool. I don't want to grapple anymore. go find somebody else. But it's, see, these don't need, these don't really need words though. I don't need to stop. I don't need to stop the, um, the role at midway and be like, yo, you okay? <laughs> Buddy, what you doing? Unless they're actually posing harm and to me, then, yeah, I, I won't really need to say things like that. Um, and sometimes people don't respond very well verbally. Some people respond better if we're writing. They respond better if they receive a letter and they take the time to write the letter back. And I don't mean type things out. I mean, like, paper and pen really take the time to get lost in the craft of calligraphy or get lost in the art of writing. I love writing, by the way. You mm. think is practice maybe i'm generalizing. it's not a lost practice it's just not as common to hear and see
1: <laughs> i think it's making a comeback to be honest it's it's it truly is i mean uh, like like a lot of things we're sort of returning to our roots in terms of what what it is that and and like you know 100 percent in terms of like this this the difference between typing something on a keyboard versus getting a pen and paper a pencil and paper and just you know, that the tactile nature of that exercise. And I think it's similar to, to like the, the, uh, the example that you explained in terms of jujitsu, right? There's, there's like a real, um, immediate, uh, m- like in the moment tactile, like experience that you're having that you are able to adjust accordingly, you know, based on what, what it is that you, you sense and feel. And I think it's the same way with anything that you can express, uh, in a tactile way, um, I guess this is the difference between um, old world living and like this this now digital age when like, you know, now we're all interacting through a screen. It's very different, right? It is truly different. Like Sean and I always talk about the, the best podcasts that we have are the in-person ones. And, you know, th- there's just there's some, something different to it. You can feel something different to the interaction versus, you know, I'm talking to a screen, it's still fine, you know, it does the purpose, it serves the purpose and we're still having a great conversation, but there's just something missing there, you know.
2: Absolutely. When I get to Australia one day, I'll definitely visit Sydney and I'll hit you guys up, that's for sure. (laughs) 100%.
1: 100. 100. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, you're
2: right, Getting our like community (laughs) with screen is so kind of bizarre now because It didn't feel too long ago when i remember sitting at this giant chunk of box waiting for the internet to dial up
0: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. it's pretty nuts i think like um you know doing things like podcasts over screen yeah that i feel they're better in person but you know on the flip side we get to have conversations with people like you like where would we have met especially right now like Maybe if one of us was in Malaysia and we ran into each other somewhere, we'd have a conversation for like a couple minutes and that'd be it. But then right now, right, we're able to connect, we're able to have a conversation here for an hour or so, uh, spit some shit on here, you know, that might come across someone's ears and they'll be like, oh, that made me think differently about that. I think there's like real beauty to the technological advance as well. You know, it's kind of like the emoji thing. I th- think there's some things that, like there's these drawbacks and and then super positives, right. It's the perspective we take on it. Like there's a lot about, um, you know, interacting through technology that fucking sucks balls, right. Like a (laughs) lot of missed, missed, um, missed meaning, uh, misconstrued understandings, things like that. But then on the flip side, like say, you know, you're in a long distance relationship with someone before zoom and all this shit, like, and, when international calling is really fucking expensive, you wrote someone something and then that's all you got. And then you had to wait like a month to receive a letter back. What if things weren't going so great? Like I have to wait a fucking month to tell you like, I'm not really having the best time here. And then I got to wait for you this month back being like, yeah, just fucking suck it up, man. You'll be fine. Like, whereas now you can just call someone and be like, Hey man, this is really the best. And then you can be like, yeah, but it's all right. going to, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> There's Just this as he
2: said, I, I thought of the movie The Notebook when the mom actually hid all of the letters that he was writing to her.
0: Yeah, and, and if like, you have a crazy fucking it, mom it was, that hides all your yeah. letters and shit, right? That's, even, that's not an option, right? Because you're going to see your face. and So like, I think that's really cool in terms of like the <laughs> technological advancement. But um, yeah, man, I think like time and place for everything. And and, and on that note, time and place for everything. I want to bring you back uh, yeah. to... Something which is like about anger and frustration, right?
2: It's almost
0: like it... Sorry, go on. Oh,
2: internet. Okay. My, internet cut, my internet cut off there, so I didn't realize I was actually interrupting you when you were talking and it was quiet over here. Sorry, what were you saying?
0: That's all right. I was saying um, you mentioned earlier about like anger and frustration, right? And how like we're, we're taught to like kind of put it away in a box. It's interesting because that's happened to me like twice in the last week. Like I've gotten really heated about something and people close to me have been like, they're like, man, relax. Like you're so highly strong. And I'm like, no, what? Fuck that. Like, I'm not like this all the time. Right. Like there's a time and place for it. And like, sometimes it's useful. You need that, um, to bring things to the surface, to reflect on, to be like, why is what has made me feel this way, made me feel this way. Right. And what, what am I going to do about it? So I kind of want to ask you about that because you brought it up earlier, you know, um, anger and frustration being taught to suppress that. That's something that's happened to you. And, and what's your, your experience been?
2: I think my anger has been suppressed since I was 15. Because even when that happened, I stayed with the guy. It was my ex-boyfriend at the time. I stayed with him. And I didn't fight back. I didn't voice my opinion. Didn't voice how mad I was. Even when we were at the abortion clinic, he said, can I go off and smoke it with my boys? All, I just said, okay. But I was hurt. I was angry. I was frustrated. And along the way, there were a lot of things that happened in the States where I didn't express my anger. Because when you're an immigrant, you always feel like I can't kind of be how I, I can't be myself entirely. Because if something happens, if I get arrested, then it's not going to be good. You know, and even in Dubai, for example, when I lived in Dubai, same shit. You can't really like lose your shit because if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person you're going to be in prison and i don't want to be in prison there <laughs> yeah well, i think a lot of this has became more so as a survival mechanism to protect your survivorhood in certain thing in certain um, circumstances but if we're talking about like oh you know what i had a really shit day today because this colleague was being so rude to me okay honor this frustration honor this anger because no one's going to get hurt from this please but don't dwell on it because once you let it out once you release it it's gone i think it takes a lot more energy to hold in frustration and anger and because it takes in so much energy we end up feeling tired We end up That's feeling the yeah. and the more it festers the more it transforms into something else like i think hate is a strong word and for someone to say i hate someone I would actually take it as something has happened along the way for a long time for you to get to that stage you can say I hate something on the surface level yeah okay I hate the way my floor tiles are kind of fucked up right now yes (laughs) not like I'm gonna go do something like worse to it so I think it's important for us to honor these natural human emotions mindful and I hate to use the word mindful but I don't know any other word to describe it right now to be aware to be aware of how detrimental they can be to our well-being if not taken care of it's like if you get a cut well you need to treat that before it gets infected and when they get infected it's your likelihood of healing from it's going to be decreased
1: mm. so
2: I want to run around with like a potential infection and lead to parasitical uh, evolution I don't know whatever Probably not. So deal with it now. This way you don't have to spend all the time and effort and possibly money to deal with it later. And yeah. it might even cost you health, which is which is priceless.
0: Yeah. Totally. And like, I think, no, sorry, go on this.
1: No, no, I was gonna ask you about, you know, um, just along this thread generally about, you know, su- suppression and expression, right? Like I can I can resonate with, you know, all of that. Just because you know uh, I was a victim of this myself, and you know, obviously, self-impose in that, um, and it draws back down to these these you know these threads that you mentioned earlier about asking yourself the the hard questions, or or, or imposing anything upon yourself that is a, an inquiry that is difficult, or or is going to be make you uncomfortable or, or any kind. This this to me is like um, expression. However, however you want to do that. Right. And, and for, for me, I, I didn't start doing that. I suppressed uh, everything up until I was diagnosed with cancer. Right. And that was the thing, the catalyst that taught me that I needed to uh, express myself and, and explore different avenues of expression. I want to ask you about yours. Well, like you've mentioned a couple of situations in your life, which seemed to me like they were catalytic moments in your life. Were, were they? Do you feel like they were necessary? Like for me, I do feel like mine was absolutely necessary. Like, I don't think I would be here without it, you know? So cancer for me was one of the greatest blessings, right? Because I, I feel like I would be still in the rat race, you know, climbing the corporate ladder being super miserable and doing shit that I didn't want to do. But um, yeah, I want to ask you about yours.
2: Uh, okay. So just to clarify, what do you mean by what's necessary? If the anger was necessary or the suppression was necessary?
1: The the catalyst.
2: I think yes, definitely. Because without those, you really won't actually, quote unquote, woke wake up. We need it. Like, I don't know about we, I can't say we, because... I don't know yours in detail. I would say I needed a wake up call. I need a slap in the face. Yep. I think all of us probably have I think all of us probably have like a higher tolerance for pain. So it's really hard to tell when we're reaching the boiling point and we really need someone to knock the hell out of us. And when we come to, we're like, oh, okay, I will listen now. Mm. I think I think that is Tricky in the sense that we need to recognize, Hmm, I'm trying to find my best way of expressing that here. I will start with this. If I were able to change anything in the past, I won't. Despite all of them being uncomfortable, scary, and straight up, I think at the time thinking, I might actually just, there were several times where I thought I, I wanna just take the baseball bat to this car right now or to that. It was like weird acts of violence that I was envisioning. And I think that was definitely not healthy because if I was any more unstable in, mental, in my mental state, I probably would have acted on it. And for anyone who actually has that kind of flashing thought and that kind of moments, those are definitely red flags. And those are definitely the time where you should and highly recommend it to seek guidance. I won't use the word help because some people have a negative association with the word help. But I think all of us could use a little guidance. Even mentors have mentors,
1: even gurus.
2: So seek out access for guidance, be it different types of friends, even acquaintances. They don't even need to be the best friend you grew up with. They could literally be your colleague or your neighbor or, I don't know, someone you just met in the elevator and have a great conversation because the elevator broke down and then you never see that person again. But that conversation changed your life because it helped you reframe things and put things in perspective.
1: Yep.
2: If in a way, it's not like you need to wait for something that is obviously something life altering. But if you can choose to see certain situations as life-altering opportunities, then I think you have a better chance for yourself and you're being more fair to
1: yourself. Totally, absolutely. And like, I totally agree with you. But at the same time, I think that for me, like, you know, it was uh, exactly the same as you. Like I I totally needed it, right? um and i always reflect upon this point like you know for me it's it's paradoxical because i look back and say i could have just been more aware or just asked the questions had the difficult conversations put myself in those difficult situations you know the uncomfortable situations and and actually, ruminated or whatever it is that I needed to do, but <laughs> I, I always look back ten, ten times out of ten. Um, the person that I was back then, I would have been. I wouldn't have been courageous enough to do it. I just wouldn't have, you know. So that's the paradox, right? Of 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 this. I guess this like modern existence. It's just like you said. I think it comes full circle in terms of how we think is the best way to be raised in this modern civilization and what is actually helpful to us as effective conscious human beings walking this planet right um i think a lot of the time and this is just my i guess opinion and interpretation of it all is that We've clung too tightly on this, you know, industrial ideal of production and efficiency and, and growth, but we have then created a lot of external distraction, which then leads to an internal absence, you know? So... I don't know. I mean, it's a difficult, difficult, like, sort of hole to, to come out of when you're so far deep into these, like, these, these types of conditioning, I feel. Um, so having been on both sides, I can, I can see both sides of the, of the spectrum is all I'm trying to say. Um, I can appreciate it is super duper difficult to, for people who... To come out of a p- place of like supreme comfort, you know, um, to challenge themselves in a very uncomfortable way, which they aren't familiar when they don't necessarily, quote unquote, need to, you know. I, I felt like I needed to only when I came out of my tr- cancer treatment, essentially. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's just a funny paradox of life.
2: Yeah, I don't think people really need something like cancer to make that kind of change. And you're right, I think, I do agree with you. I and I have some friends who kind of think, I don't think I need to change anything about my life right now. I'm I'm completely happy where I am. I'm not saying that I'm boring or I have no hope. I'm just, I'm completely happy where I am right here. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And what you mentioned about, like, why do we have this over expectations. Well, I mean, just expectations for people to always be productive, to always be efficient, to always pursue growth. I mean, growth is going to happen either way, I think. It's hard for people to say, I've never changed in 20 years. I mean, yeah, come on, you have at some point. Yes, you have. You don't realize it, but you have. And it doesn't need to be be one-on-be-all as well. Like, you don't need to be always pursuing growth 100%, or you don't need to always be, I need to be 50% productivity, I need to be 40% this and 10% this. I think everyone's formula is a little different. And that formula will be malleable along the way as long as you allow your mind and your heart to be malleable along the way as well. And like getting out getting out of a dark place. Yeah. When you said that, I actually visualize a well, like being in the bottom of a well mm-hmm. and the top seems so far. But there are ways to go up. If you look at how a well is built with bricks and stuff, like old wells, you know, not the new wells where it's like all machines and you have nothing to grip on. <laughs> but old, Like, oh, uh, I can put my fingers over here. I can put my feet over here. You know, some way, somehow. And of course, you're not going to aim for like the highest brick closest to the top. You're going to aim for the brick that's closest to you to get to the next one. So I think it comes down to, yeah, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this, and it all seems so far away, and I have to do all of this stuff in order to get there. Yes, you do, but it can be overwhelming if you look at it from a big picture. This is a time sometimes where you got to change, you got to like switch up your lens, right? You want to look at forest, but you also need to look at the tree. So focus on what is presentable, tangible for you at that moment get in that flow, get lost in that particular thing. And then, ah, oh, it gets 1% easier.
1: A journey of a thousand miles starts at one step, right?
2: Is that a quote somewhere?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Lao Tzu.
2: <laughs> Someone's a Lao Tzu fan. I need to get my Lao Tzu reading, man.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Maybe you can find a 50-cent garage sale book. <laughs> 'Cause uh pretty sure Tzu is very fucking expensive on Amazon.
2: Now it's all Kindles. Do you guys do book
1: recommendations? Um I'm I'm a bit funny about that. Because just like anything, um I think everyone has has like something that they're drawn toward, you know? Like I, I, I sort of think about book recommendations as oh, you know, I, I think this would be good for everyone. You know, it's the same thing as as trying to paint um, uh, with a broad stroke. I think that people should be drawn towards b- books, certain books that, that just feel like something they want to read. But, you know, I, I would be always happy to recommend books that may serve as a starting point, right? Yeah. And And those books should sort of lead people along their own journey. So within each book, everyone is going to, you know, resonate with certain lines or certain words or certain sentences or paragraphs that make them go, ah, uh aha, you know, and you should honor that and follow those threads down. That should be, uh, I guess, an indicator as to what you should potentially read next, if it made you feel that way and then so on and so forth. But yeah, um,
2: Absolutely. Like what we were talking about earlier, people have a different way of con- conveying and, and describing things. They use different lingos, they use different vocabulary. So it all comes down to, well, which author do you resonate with? Totally. Just purely right. And sometimes you can even read the same book in different times of your life and take something different away from it.
1: Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, that was my long way of saying read the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. <laughs>
0: Cause I'm the opposite I have like <laughs> books where I'm like whoever you are I feel you could get a lot of just reading this book I got oh book. really yeah
2: well okay what's what's one or two
0: um so actually and, and it's interesting because there were books that like you know other people have said that they've just been broad recommendations and I read them like I get why this is a broad recommendation so like one is Mindset by Carl Dweck um and the book is all about you know, uh, having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I think everybody on Earth can benefit from reading that, no matter where you are in terms of your mindset, right? In also in terms of just understanding where other people are at. You know, people you're interacting with, and you're like, why do they think that way? Um, a lot of times, you can boil it down to if they've got a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, and understanding why that is the case, um, I think, is really powerful and useful. So that's one of them. The other one, like my favorite book, is uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. So he's actually a hedge fund manager, one of the most successful of all time, but he's got, yeah, he's written this book. It's in three parts, just called principles. The first part is about his life, which is quite interesting. Second part is life principles, just principles that he uses, you know, that he thinks can help you to yield a good quality of life. And then the last part is work principles, which is quite focused on, you know, running a larger uh, organization and how people work and it's all about having like these principles, right? These boiled down concepts that you can use and apply uh, again in a broad sense. And like, I just find myself, there's a lot of things that I read in that book, which, you know, have stuck with me and I'm like, ah, oh, that's what it makes sense. And you can apply it just across the board. Um, so there are two books that, you know, whenever anyone asks me, got a book recommendation, I'd be like, I would start with those two.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. I love those books too, by the way. read them. <laughs> well, what, how about how about you, Emily? What what's what um if you were asked the question?
2: Um, I mean, similar. Like, I wouldn't recommend a book to anyone without understanding what are they looking for in terms of reading. But I would say one of my favorite books to gift, actually, maybe two. Um, there are two books with Krishna uh, Krishnamurti mm-hmm. on philosophy and stuff. I think. His transcripts are very thought-provoking, and it's not like he's telling you to think a certain way. He's just presenting questions, and he's pre- and he's framing things in a certain way where it makes you think: Is this it? Do I agree with this? So I think that is very it, it's an enlightening journey of self-actualization when it comes to is this my understanding of this? Is it really what I think? And mm. then crystallize yourself and thus applying it to everything else in your life, to work, to relationships, and to whatever else. The other one is more story-based. It's Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. heard of
1: that one? Sorry, we. Uh, you just cut out when you were trying to say the title of the book. <laughs> cut out.
2: <up>. Yeah. <laughs> it's called, who's listening right now? It's called Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. Okay. okay. So if- read that book it's essentially a story about a professor and his student and one of the students and the professor is one of the most respected one and he was diagnosed with ALS and it documents the process of how he still wanted to pursue educating and connecting with people and talking to them spending his dying years still servicing others and how his student had witnessed this entire process and dealt with his own emotions upon witnessing someone, his mentor dying. So you kind of see the perspective that in the dynamics of two people, one of the dying, one of having things happening to him. And yet his, just his zest for purpose still. And the Mm -hmm. other perspective, I'm witnessing this, I'm feeling something differently. How come I don't see that he's feeling the same way as me? So to me, I think that presents a, um, an example of like, an in the, in the aquarium view of observing how people can take things differently when the circumstances are these facts. So it, it, hopefully it provokes readers to think about, I never thought of death as something so beautiful. Mm. And I'm not promoting that here, don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about someone who has legit been diagnosed with something and how someone can take grief so differently and how someone can use time so eloquently. So these are what I took from reading it, but the first time when I read the book, it wasn't all of that. These are just the third time when I read the book, I took these values. The first time I read the book was about understanding emotions. And one of the things that he said about emotions is, emotions are like waves, it comes and it goes. You feel it, you let it crash, and then it calms down. But mm-hmm. if you don't, if you try to block it, guess what happens? The wall will break. So I learned a lot about recognizing emotion from that first time I read that book, like 10 years ago.
1: Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I think I'm going to pick that one up as well. That sounds good. That sounds like it, uh, it's, it's, it said something to me. So I'll read that one.
2: Sure. it's a short it's, it's not like one of
1: those thick ones it's a it's a nice short read. yeah cool 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 it feels like a um a nice place for us to wrap up the conversation I feel like the um the i guess the energy of the conversation is like you know rested a little bit, so I think it's a nice place for us to end but um man i I am conscious that you know <laughs> there were so many things that I wanted to talk to you more about that we didn't touch on. So we might have to get you back on, but, um, but yeah, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Um, first and foremost, it was an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I want to give you the opportunity to just, you know, say a few words and um, you know, share about what you're doing at the moment and how people might be able to find you.
2: Oh, well, Thank you for that. And I just want to say, I appreciate you guys asking questions that are thought provoking and hopefully give, a broadened perspective on on everything and it's not like we agree on everything and oh I'm just going to be listening to three people who agree on everything so thank you for always presenting this kind of opportunities and inviting me to be on your podcast No I'm active on Instagram mostly which is uh T-H-E Emily Tan I'm somewhat active on Facebook but whatever I post on Instagram you're going to find on Facebook and vice versa anyway so yeah Instagram is definitely and my podcast is tackling minds on Instagram as well. So that's what I'm currently working on in terms of developing and building the podcast to expand on topics that are somehow taboo today, but hopefully not taboo tomorrow.
1: Very cool. Very cool. We'll add all that into the show notes so people can find you. Yeah. You. And Shauna, where can people find you, bro?
0: Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram as well, so that's the easiest place to find me. Sean underscore coop. So it's S H A U N underscore C O O P. And how about you, Les?
1: Yeah, uh, on my website, findingspace.co, you can always get in touch with me, with me there and um, you know stay abreast of anything that I'm doing. If you want to sign up to my newsletter, um, not sure when this particular episode is going to air, but um, I have my meditation uh, program coming out, or it may already be out. So. You know stay tuned for that it's um something that i've been uh pouring a lot of effort into in the last few months so i hope people will be able to benefit from that um and also instagram and facebook as well it's going to be at uh, findingspace.co if you want to get in touch through those channels uh, you can also get in touch with sean and i through our email address if you want to uh, get in touch with emily or if you want to ask any questions about this episode or if you want to come on as a guest, it's uh, the hustle and flow podcast at gmail.com. Cool.
0: And um, yeah, I just want to take another moment just to thank you for coming on, Emily. And um, yeah, just being really candid with us and, and having a good time today. We appreciate it. I
2: feel like I hustled and flow with y'all.
1: You
0: did, you did. You
1: certainly did. <laughs>
0: and then we'll do it again so yeah if if you guys are listening and you took a little nugget from today you know took something from the conversation that resonated with you made you think differently we ask you to share with one other person that's how we grow the podcast and until next time guys thanks for joining
1: us see you guys